Hello and welcome to the Develop Podcast. I'm your host Ben Gilbert and in this podcast I speak with practitioners from across the world, bringing you insight into the international development sector. In this episode, I'm speaking with Sriani Tidball. Sriani and her husband Tom have been working amongst poor communities in Sri Lanka for the past 40 years, running Community Concern a faith-based non-profit organization which runs programs involving education and income generation activities for marginalized families. In recent years, Sriani has researched over 200 stories of Sri Lankan women, many of whom are mothers who leave their families to work as domestic housemaids in the Middle East. Sri Lankans working overseas contribute $7 billion annually to the economy. That's 12% of its GDP. Shriani's book, The Breadwinner, shares the true untold stories in which a large number of women working abroad experience torture, rape, deportation, and even murder. Well, Shriani, thank you so much for agreeing to come and speak to me. It would be great if you could just introduce yourself to people listening to this podcast. Okay, so my name is Shriani Tidbal, and um, I'm from Sri Lanka. I was born here. And I grew up here and actually went to college here, university here. But in my senior year, I had an opportunity, senior year in high school, like in 12th grade, after I did my A-levels, I was, had an opportunity to go to the States for a year because there was a scholarship for those people who want to do their last year of high school there. So I kind of repeated my 12th grade, but I had this incredible uh, experience going to the U.S. and living with a family and going to school there. And it kind of changed me a lot because it was, you know, in the late 60s when, you know, issues like racial injustice and, you know, black power and, um, you know, Martin Luther King dying. I mean, you know, Rosa Parks being on the back of the bus. I mean, all those issues were in my face and I was the only person of color in my high school. However, because I was an African-American or black or whatever the word was then, um, I was really well accepted. I was actually, I was like a novelty, right? Because uh, I came from a third world country. I spoke really good English, which was always surprising. So where do you learn English? And I would say, on the plane, where did you learn? (laughs) I mean, I just got a big kick out of the fact that they couldn't believe somebody from a poor country could speak English, you know, thanks to the colonization, I guess. And, and I was, uh, when I finished the third year of architecture, you get a degree, but architecture is a five-year degree. So I got to go back to the States and go to college to finish my degree there and stay back with the same family who, you know, we continue to have this very close relationship. And um, that's when I met my soulmate, my husband, Tom. And we got married and in five years, first five years of being married, we had three kids and, you know. One of the things I wanted to, to pick your brain about Sriani was was the work that you're doing with with women who go abroad to the Middle East um, to seek employment. Could you tell me a little bit about how you're involved in in that area? You know, there were these two kids who um, this is like ten years ago who um, came to uh, who were part of our youth group, and they came and said, you know. Um, we are going to drop out of school. They were 14 and 15. They were crying. And we said, why? 
They said, our mom went to the Middle East a year ago. She had borrowed money and the loan sharks are banging on our door. We're living with our grandmother and she's so scared. And, and uh, we are going to quit school and we're going to go work for that man. We never heard from our mother. We don't know what happened. So we did some investigation, found the mother. See, she, had, she didn't know how to read. She didn't have a phone. She didn't know how to contact her family. She was okay, but she could never send money. She didn't know anything. She just took this job and left the Middle East to hopefully earn money and send back. So I remember how, how that impacted me. Then there were other stories. There was a, my mom had a lady that you know, she had made that work for her at home. And her sister had gone to the Middle East and nobody had heard from her, and then she comes back in a coffin. So there were these stories like that you kept hearing, but um, you know you knew that people were so poor, they went to the Middle East and to be housemaids. And usually they were poor, illiterate, uneducated, unskilled people who were very vulnerable. And these agents, you know, especially if they were attractive or something, they had a, they'd just say, hey, do you want to earn money, really good money. And next thing, you know, they'd already been in debt and loan shots in Sri Lanka are charging 10% a month on the loans they give you. Talk about, you know, extortion. And these people don't know what they're getting into. So about six years ago, five years ago, I got a Fulbright to, to study this. And I did some, you know, rigorous research where, I spoke to 200 women, 100 who had gone and come back and 100 who were getting ready to go because I knew all these stories. I'd collected stories for years. In fact, I had notebooks with stories and I had somebody else who was at the, at the center who was cutting out stories from the newspaper, like some girl had nails driven into her, somebody, you know, all these stories. And they're all real stories and I had them, but I felt like I had to go find out for myself. And the, it was... And then I came back a year later, took a sabbatical from, you know, teaching at the university in the States and collected 15 other in-depth stories. And suddenly I had all this material and I realized that um, the reason, the main reason women went overseas was because they were in debt. Uh, they had hopes for a better life for their children. They were not happy with their life. They were living probably... Uh, hand to mouth, and sometimes they were living with, you know, mother-in-law, relation, the thing wasn't very good, and they just wanted a better life. And they thought if we go for two years to Middle East and work, but the things that they didn't think about is when you leave and the family's missing a mother, I don't know about your mom, but if my mom wasn't there, life would have been really a mess for me because she's the one who, you know, made sure we went to school and paid our fees and had our uniforms and, you know, I mean, things that you take for granted that a mom just does. But when the kids went out, the highest amount of child abuse in the country, which is another research piece that some other people had done, is for migrant mothers who've gone to the Middle East. So the children get abused, they drop out of school, teenage pregnancy, incest, and the money that they earn and send back gets spent. So when they come back, things are much worse. And there are other issues like, you know, dad found another woman, you know, there's all that, you know, infidelity. And so the, what does she do? She actually goes and remigrates. 
But this time when she goes for her two years, she's going to be smarter. She's going to not send all the money, but, but her family's destroyed. And, and I met women who've gone seven times, eight times over, they spent their entire life being housemates. Now, when they go over there, there's another issue. You never know who you're going to get. Um, not everybody got abused, but enough women that I spoke to, some of them couldn't share the abuse with anybody else because they said, if we tell my husband what happened to me, he won't want having to do with me. You know, so we, women said to me, this is the first time I'm sharing what happened with anybody. So I kept, you know, all that information with me, but I was not going to divulge names, but I wrote a book and I called it The Breadwinner and it's stories of slavery of migrant women from Sri Lanka who went to be housemaids. I like the name because the, the breadwinner, it sums up exactly what every family needs, you know, in terms of being able to just keep, keep food on the table. And, you know, and, and in some ways, you know, these stories of women desperately seeking work in the Middle East, it comes out of that heart. Who's going to be the breadwinner, you know, and taking the responsibility on themselves to go out and do it. It really gets to the heart of the issue, doesn't it? It really does. And, you know, there's the two pieces, the piece of their life in the Middle East, their life when they get back. Whoever had a good husband, even if they had a bad time in the Middle East when they came back, there was a reward because the husband made sure the money built the house, the kids were okay. We found that there were Muslim women who were part of my research. Their time in the Middle East was okay because they were women from the same faith, they were never abused. They had an okay time. When they come back, their husbands have been blew it, you know? So you're like, oh, how did that work? You know, that was so sad that you wanted to say this always works. You're Muslim and you go and you come back and you're going to be fine. But that didn't work either. So I also think, you know, men get lonely and, you know, there's all those issues that have to so really, we shouldn't let women go. But if you have to go, then you have to prepare the men too. And they go just for a better life for their family. That is the second largest income earner for this country. It is like between 6 and $7 billion every year come from that blood, sweat, and tears of women. And nobody cares about them. When they come back, they're just second-class citizens, you know? Or maybe not even that. And so I just really felt that I, you know, I've been like a, a spokesperson for, for these women because they're nobody to tell their stories. And I, you know, I do have opportunity. What about for men? Because men also do travel abroad a lot. Are you seeing some of the same types of exploitation, maybe in different ways, different forms for men? Does that have the same impact on the families back, back in Sri Lanka? Or is that different? Um, there's about a million men who are also out and a lot of them are laborers and there's some labor trafficking going on where they are not getting paid, you know, the monies that are promised and stuff like that. But on the sexual abuse side, you don't hear as much. Um, but for women, you hear more of that. Um, the one other thing that's been interesting is that I put some booklets out. No, I wrote the booklets. I haven't printed them. And there are books like 10 Things You Need to Know Before You Go to the Middle East. 
So we, I thought my first dream is not to let women go, to do some skills training. And, and, and we started a program called J Shakti at Community Concern, where we are um, empowering women to stay back, learn some skills, have some dreams, and earn much more staying back than going to the Middle East. And, and forming a movement where they say, you know, being a mother is important, we're going to raise our own kids. And as we do that, there are going to be mothers who are going to say, we want to go. Okay, for the mothers who want to go, how do we prepare them to go? So, um, you know, in this book, one of the interesting things that happened with my focus groups was uh, by accident, a woman who was going to go overseas came to the group of women that had gone and returned. And, and uh, she came to the wrong group. And when she, and she was a beautiful woman with long hair and uh, just a lovely skin, you know, and very young. And she had a family, a nice husband and two kids. And, she, and when she heard these stories, when, it, when everybody said where they were going, she said where she was going to go to. So we didn't even know. Two days later, she came to the meeting again, but this time with the other women. And she said, when I heard stories of women's hair being chopped, of husbands being unfaithful to them, of children messing with school because we want our kids to go to school, she said, I went home and told my husband, I'm not going. I want you to make a cart and I'm going to be a vendor and I'm going to sell food in the street. And she said, the cart's almost ready. I'm going tomorrow. You know, just like that. So that peer-to-peer is so powerful. I could never tell a woman, don't go. But once she hears some stories, she's going to make her own decision. Yeah. And I I guess because of the, the is it the shame attached to some of those things that happen abroad that is one of the reasons why these stories actually don't get out? And, you know, it's groups like that, but that you're, you're, you're creating those spaces where people can come together and actually hear the reality of what's happening. Yeah. So in my little booklet, I put, speak to three people who have gone and come back. But in there were things like, you know, your money management, who's going to take care of your kids. You're saying you're going because you want to give your kids a better life. But while you're there, who's going to take care of your kids. And most of the women that I spoke to would say, I think my mother, I think my sister, I haven't thought about it. So it's nothing they had really given thought to, you know. And if that person cannot help your kid in the middle of your time overseas, who is going to? You know, so there were, uh, there were lots of really, so I still want to publish my book. I have it. I put it online if anybody wants it. Is anything changing in recent years? Um... Is the government doing anything about it? Is anything cha- Are there any policies which are coming out which are protecting people? Is that, is that something that you can see changing in the future? Well, at this point, because of COVID, uh, the, the women are not going as fast as they were going before. The numbers were so high in Sri Lanka that uh, we had a million mothers in a country of 21 million people one time I figured it out, it was something like one in five families were raised without a mother. That, that's a lot. Now, when these women have come back these days, it's a little more, it's tricky to get there because of, you know, the COVID uh, repatriation rules. And so um, I've heard that, that women who had finished their tenure, 
they would be put into refugee camps where they're waiting for Sri Lanka opens their airports. And then when the women come here, they have to pay for their quarantine time. And some of the women have, you know, that's been a lot of money for them that they earned. So they were complaining and others are going to free places and then they're getting the COVID because, you know, the, the situation. Then we also found out that uh, some women are stuck in refugee camps in those countries and that the condition is really bad, that nobody's really caring for them. So the situation for these housemates are really bad right now. And um, there's this one story of a girl whose um, the wife tells her that her husband wants her, she has to go. And she, the maid says, no, no, I can't because I have a husband at home and I'm not available for that. And she said, you have to do what we tell you. Others we're going to. Um, say you stole something and, and then nobody's going to believe you and they'll chop your hand off or something. And so she does go because she has no choice. And whenever he wants her, she had to go. And now the, now the wife doesn't like it, even though, so the wife is treating her badly and now the mother-in-law hates it. Mother-in-law is treating her badly. And and she just couldn't, you know, she's just locked up in this space. And then one day, the mother-in-law decides that he's, she's going to chop her hair off. Now in Sri Lanka, all of us women love long hair. And this is one of the things, you know, you've known how many women have really long hair. And to cut somebody's hair off would be the biggest insult you can do. So this, this uh, uh, mother-in-law takes her to the shower starts chopping her hair off and she's like, doesn't even have much clothes on and is abusing her when a phone call comes and she has to leave her in the bathroom and one of the, one of the daughters of one of the people in, it was like a compound and there were family members that were all living together. She comes and tells her, here's these clothes, the front door's open, get out and run for your life. And she was, luckily for her, she was able uh, to get to the police. Well, her boss worked for the police. So she was praying and hoping, I guess, that this, uh, he wouldn't be there. But she, they took her to the embassy and she was able to get back. But it was just a horrible story, right? So there was this girl, her name's Indu, and she's okay with me telling her name. Um, she was... Uh, about 17 when her father, she was, her mother had committed suicide when she was 12 and she was very smart in school. And when she had done all levels and done really well, and when she was 17, her father who was, uh, um, he was into drinking, but moonshine liquor, decided to sell his daughter, or give her daughter, his daughter for a supply for your life of moonshine liquor to this guy who needed a wife, who was a moonshine maker. And so she was taken. And uh, when she, after she was married, she found out that he had three kids from a previous marriage. So she's taking care of these three kids. He gave her two kids and beat her up regularly. She had 17 entrance, um, uh, police reports because she'd keep going to the police every time he beat her he broke her arm he did horrible stuff to her but every time she went the police would say this is a domestic violence issue it's domestic 
go and deal with your life at home. We're not going to help you. And then one day he said to her, oh, I forgot to tell you, I was married and I do still have a wife. She's been a housemaid in the Middle East and she's coming back. She's been there for five years and now she's returning. I want you out of here. And took all her child, the two little girls of hers from him, their clothes and everything, and threw it out and threw her out. So she picked all of it, put it in this little backpack of her kids. Wasn't much. She had 57 rupees, which is not even a pound, which is like a quarter of a pound, right? And she gets on a bus and tells the bus driver, take me to, um, you know, take me anywhere that this money can take me. And so she was brought into Colombo. She, she, this was in Ratnapur, about 56 miles away. She comes to Colombo and this man at the bus stand comes up to her and says, you look kind of desperate. Uh, can I help you? Because she had a suckling, she had a little infant and she had a toddler. And uh, she says, no, I'm okay. He came three times and the third time she said, yes, I'm just a person who has nowhere to go. And he said, I'll take you somewhere. And he comes and leaves her on the doorstep outside community concern. And we said he had to be an angel because nobody ever saw him again. So we, it was a Friday morning. We have a Friday, every Friday morning, we have a time of prayer and we come together and, and have a meeting and we get all excited and pumped, you know, because we get inspired by some good stories. So we come out and there's a little, two little girls and a, a woman, you know, she looks like a little girl herself. And uh, we ask her and she tells us her story. And at that time, we didn't have a home for people like this. Uh, there was another home program. I don't know if you heard of Women in Need. It's another program. And my friend was uh, a director. So she said, oh, sure, bring her over. And then um, two months later, they called me and said, um, oh, we had given her a Bible. and We prayed with her and we sent her over there. And they said, you know that girl you brought over? We're going to close out for two weeks. Uh, you have to come and take your girl. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. So I go pick her up and then leave her. Next door to our center was, a, was one of the couples who were working with us. And I said, could you keep her for the holidays? And I, but then I felt really guilty the next day that I just went and left her there. And I go back with some fruit. And here she is. She's bright and smiling. And I said, what happened? And she said, well, I just asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And these people in this house said I can live with them. And, and now... I want to just go 20 years, 15 years later. She became a Montessori teacher and she works in our preschool. Her two daughters and these two girls are awesome. They love the Lord. The mom is the sweetest person you'll ever see. She has such a smile on her face every day when I see her. She just reminds me how God can take the worst situation. She's been an inspiration for me and I see her every time. Like she sent me a little note today and said, I love you, miss. And I thought, oh, how sweet, you know, because we had touch. She can call me anytime, and, you know, talk to me. Sriyani, it's really interesting to, to hear about how Community Concern has just grown and really uh, responded to the needs around in, in Sri Lanka. And in terms of the future, what's your vision for the future? I mean, we, I'm really into trying to see what is it going to take for poverty elevation? What is it going to take for people who are poor 
to be able to get out of that poverty situation and have a really good life. You know, and I see how key education is. How do we educate people? How do we have everybody have a skill so that they can work, you know, in an area that they feel good about? And how do we develop families to have, you know, a decent family life? I mean, drugs is another issue in our area. How do we keep the children from being drug free? So there are lots of things that we feel like to empower the family that we, we could help. I'm just right now putting some proposals together in the area of, you know, um, poverty elevation through education, skills development, social protection, community mobilization. I mean, the kinds of things we really need to do to be able to have a better community, a safer community, uh, you know, zero hunger, health, you know, the good nutrition. I mean, I'm looking at all of that and those are all going to be components you know, to have a better community, a better life for these people. I mean, Jesus did say the poor will be with you always, so we'll always have work. But uh, how we respond and how important it is every day for us to see lives change is so important. If you've been impacted by these stories, you can read more in Sriani Tidball's book, The Breadwinner, and find links in this podcast to more information about her organization, Community Concern, and the work that they do for families in Sri Lanka.